Well, we've been learning the last couple of weeks how to pray some pretty awesome prayers, haven't we? And these are prayers that are not like the, the wimpy kind of prayers that we find ourselves like, uh, God is great, God is good, let us spank him for our food. That's what our kids used to say when they were little. Let us spank, that God is great and let us spank him. And, uh, and uh, also, uh, you know, we, we don't, we're, we're not learning how to pray those kinds of prayers. We're, we're really learning how to pray um, life-changing, life-moving uh, prayers that are guaranteed to do something to you. And we've called them risky prayers. And then the, the first week, a couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about how we wanted God to test us and to test our faith and in some ways to break us, break us of those habits that are not healthy in our lives, break us of those kind of things that, that don't put us on the path to God. But by breaking us, we move into the path and we enter into a new life of God. Uh, the week after that, Pastor Pam led us in a prayer of thy will be done, which is a portion of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we learned what that meant was that, that we were really calling upon that the work in heaven is the work that we want to do here on earth, and that may the works that we do on earth bring glory to what's happening in heaven. And it was uh, pushing us into making sure that we understood what it meant to be a part of that life-changing work. Um, last week, I took us through Psalm 139, and we looked at that very risky prayer that David prayed, King David, when he said, search my heart, un unveil to me all of my anxious moments, all of my fears, all of my inadequacies, however we want to term that, and also to expose the sin in my life. And that was a really hard prayer to pray. And, um, but, we, but we're learning that, that it's a life changer, it's a game changer, if we can have the courage to pray that. And today we're going to learn how to pray um, a prayer that is uh, geared toward the words, use me. It's a prayer of availability. Um, every week, many of you give us prayer requests. You either put them on the Connect card or you email them to us or you call them into the church office or you might share a prayer need uh, with one of us during worship and before and after. And it's uh, such a privilege to be able to hear what your needs are and to be able to take that. And Patsy McLaughlin Bauer leads our prayer ministry team. And there's many of you who are in this room that, that are a part of that ministry that when we have prayer needs, you get an email from Patsy like I do. And it tells you uh, all the things that people are asking to be prayed over. And we, and we are humbled by that, and we, and we are focused on that. But as I look at the trends of our prayers, uh, what it reveals to me is that uh, we, we are praying prayers for ourselves. We are praying prayers for God to do something for us or for God to do something for a loved one. I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm just saying that the, that's the majority of the prayers that uh, help me with this upcoming medical procedure or help me with this family event or financial or those kinds of things. And, and the risky prayer that we really want to move toward is, is a prayer that, that moves us beyond that, but actually moves us to say, God, I'm available for you. Put me in, coach. Um, I'm ready to play. And, and, and to move into that as, as we move in, you know, from that. So, so kind of move away from the, God, uh, help, help my parent deal with this today, or, or God, help, uh, help my child to uh, make a good friend at school, or somebody had written recently, God, help me to get some Kenny Chesney tickets when he comes to Ray J. And, uh, you know, so move away from those things, and more importantly, God, use me. I'm available. Here I am. Put me in. So if we prayed that kind of prayer, God use me, if we went out on a risk and we did that, imagine what it would be like to pray a prayer that removed the focus on self and put the focus on God. And that every day your prayer was specifically, God, what can I do for you today? 
Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, what can I do for you today? And when you pray that kind of prayer, I guarantee you some pretty fantastic things are gonna happen. Some of you, believe it or not, when you pray the prayer, God, what can I do for you today? God's gonna call you into ministry. And some of you are going like, there's no way, trust me, he will. When you pray the kind of prayer, God, what can I do for you today? God's gonna wanna send you to another city when you wanna stay here. God, what can I do for you today? Or you're gonna be convinced in your mind that you're supposed to go somewhere else and God's gonna say, no, I want you to stay right where you are because you're needed and, and my work in you is, is significant and I need you to stay. So all throughout the Bible, we see different kinds of call stories. And, and uh, I'm going to just highlight a couple of them today. And, and the first one is the story of Jonah. And if you've ever read the story of Jonah, you know Jonah, it's kind of a whale of a tale, kind of fishy. But other than that, it's, it's, it's one of those stories where, where it's, it's sensationalized in a sense that sometimes we just wonder, can somebody really be swallowed by a fish? And what happens? But you know, in, with God, all things are possible. And what we learn out of this story is God calls Jonah to do something for God. God says, Jonah, I need you to be available, and here's what I want you to do. And here's Jonah's response. Here I am, Lord. Heck no, I'm not going. That was his response. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it. So already you know that Jonah's gonna be like, heck no, I'm not gonna do that. You want me to go to a community and tell them everything they're doing wrong? And you want them, you, they're gonna be mad at me. They can't see you, but they can see me. And so God says, go and preach uh, against it. It's wicked, it has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. And when he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish, what? To flee from the Lord. Now, how many of you have ever done that? God has nudged you, God has tapped you, God has pushed you, God has uh, called you to do something, and for whatever reason, you're like, here I am, Lord. Heck no, I'm not going. It happened to me not long ago. I was driving through town here locally, and uh, as I was driving down one of the, the main roads, I noticed that there was a car um, up in the distance ahead of me that had been pulled over off the side of the road. It was by itself, and there was a young lady who was the only person in that car. She had gotten out of the car. If I had to guess, she was probably high school age. And it brought back memories to me about how the one thing I never wanted to happen was for either of our daughters to ever be stranded on a road, especially at night with car trouble, and how scary that must have been. And I'm thinking about you know, how terrified she must be that her car is broken down, the hood's up, the flashes are on, and I felt God nudge me. And God said, Bob, I want you to do something about this. I want you to help her. I want you to call a tow truck. I want you just to get involved, and I want you to make sure she's okay. And as I'm driving closer to get to her, with that nudge in my heart, my phone rings. And it's one of my good friends that I had not talked to in weeks. And we were trying to catch up on some stuff and I'm talking to him as I'm driving and driving and driving. And then the next thing I know, as I'm finishing my conversation with him, she's like two miles in my rearview mirror by then. And I didn't stop. And I missed the opportunity. So it's kind of like Jonah. You know, heck no, Lord, I, I'm not gonna do it. Now, before you cast judgment on me, my guess is that maybe you've done that. Maybe you've had the best intentions to do something, but for whatever reason, it just did not work out in that instance. Um, then there's Moses. 
Moses is the second one this morning. You know, Moses was a Hebrew. Um, he was um, uh, brought into an Egyptian's house. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh. Um, he didn't know he was a, a Hebrew. He thought he was Egyptian. He was a, a crown prince. He was probably going to be the next Pharaoh. And, and all of a sudden, God reveals to him his greater mission is not to be Pharaoh of Egypt, but to be the liberator of the Egyptian, of the, uh, of the Israeli people from Egypt. So God calls Moses... And Moses responds and says, here I am, Lord, use someone else. That's what he said. Here's what it says in Exodus. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. Moses would have been very much aware of that statement right there. Moses, because he was living in the community, because he was now moving into his Hebrew roots, he knew exactly what kind of misery the people were in. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, this is God speaking, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So go, and I'm sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm not good enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't have the money to do that. I don't have the skills to do that. Who am I, Lord, to do what you're asking me to do? I, I can't do that. I can't surrender that. I can't make that sacrifice. Call somebody else. Send somebody else. Don't pick on me, Lord. And that's where Moses is at. And for, for some of us, that's where we're at. Here I am. Use somebody else. But the one that's really the model this morning uh, the one that uh, really makes sense for the use me prayer is the prayer of Isaiah, the prophet. And if we go to chapter six, we see some significant things that happen. And here's Isaiah's experience. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne. So he's in this vision scenario and he's seeing God in heaven. The train of his robe filled the temple and above him were seraphim. These are heavenly creatures, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, where they covered their feet and then they covered uh, that they were flying and they were calling to one another. So here's what they're saying in heaven. Holy, holy, holy Lord, is, uh, is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. They are praising God. They are demonstrating majesty to the awesome creation of who God is as Almighty. And you can imagine as Isaiah is experiencing this, he's in total awe. He's like, ah, I'm in the throne room of God. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook as the temple was filled with smoke. And listen to this. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Isaiah, here I am, send me. So do you see the difference in what's happening here? Notice that, that Isaiah doesn't say, 
well, God, uh, are you going to send me some like tropical island where there's a cabana boy and, you know, some fruity drinks with umbrellas in? Is that where I'm going to get to go? Uh, he's not saying, you know, God, uh, make sure it's a place that I really will like. He doesn't say, you know, God, uh, make the work real easy for me. He just says unequivocally, here I am, send me. And so our prayer is, here I am, use me. We're taking a spin off of that. So here I am, Lord, use me. Put me into service. Whom shall we send? Send me. Now imagine what your life would be like if every morning when you got out of bed, that the first thing you did was not check your email. Imagine what your life would be like if every morning you got up, you did not do some sort of uh, internet search, that you didn't go check what your banking statement said online, that you didn't check your text messages or, or respond to them. But just think about if you started every day with this prayer, God, I am available for you today. Use my hands, use my feet, use my heart, use my eyes, use my words, use the physicalness of who I am, use anything about me, I am fully yours. And what if that was the first prayer that you prayed every morning? Can you imagine what would happen in your life to ask God to do that? And you would give God the permission to interrupt your life for his service. Imagine what that would look like. Now, some of us might be thinking, I would love to do that. How do I do that? Others are thinking, there's no way I could do that. I'd like to, but there's just no way I can. Because, 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 because. So how do we, as followers of Jesus, get to the point when we can pray that risky prayer, Lord, here I am, use me. How can we begin to get it to where it is so unconsciously common to us that we don't even have to think about those words, where that thought just comes out and we don't even have to think or analyze or rebuke it or, or, or uh, argue with it or anything, but we just say it, Lord, here I am, use me. Here's a couple of ways that I think we can do that. The first is we need to get in touch with the presence of God. Get in touch or experience the presence of God. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. Isaiah is in the throne room. He is in the very essence of where God is. Somehow he has made himself available to experience something that God wants him to see. He saw the presence of God. He saw God's majesty. He saw God's glory. He saw the heavenly beings giving praise from the throne, shouting to God, holy, 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 Lord God almighty. And the point is, why can't we see the same? A lot of it has to do with because we have not opened our eyes to do so. Let me say that again. Why can't we see the majesty of God? Why is it that it's difficult for us to live in the presence of God? It's because we haven't opened our eyes. We have not opened our souls. We have not allowed ourselves to be available to see that. About 15 years ago in ministry, we had planted a church and things were going like 90 million miles an hour. And I had reached a point about 15 years ago where I wasn't gonna quit ministry, but I was really tired. I was fatigued. I didn't really wanna think about ministry for a while. I couldn't think. And everything that seemed to be a part of what was going on in my life was, was a stretch. It was things that were uh, very exhausting and things that um, just feeling the burden. Now, I came from a corporate uh, position before I answered my call to ministry. So I kind of have that pleasure of knowing what the corporate world is like and what ministry is like. And that's why I don't wear starch shirts anymore. You know, I remember the corporate days, you'd walk around like this, so much starch in your shirt. But um, 
but so I, I know the stresses and strains of what it means to be in business, but I can tell you that it's a different kind of pace. It's a different kind of burden. It's a different set of stresses when you're a pastor. I'm not saying that what I do is more important than you. I'm not saying it's harder than what you do. All I'm trying to say is that I see, because I've lived in both worlds, that the burden that pastors carry is different than the burdens that people who aren't pastors carry. The scripture says that we are responsible for your soul. We are responsible for you. And, and we take that very seriously. That's why when, when you have a surgery, we're there. That's why when you have a prayer need, we're there. That's why when you have a crisis, we come, we meet you where you are. And, and, and so I was at a point where I had just had uh, more than I could handle. It was just like, I gotta take a break. And so I, I talked to Patty and, and we decided that I'd go visit an abbey. I thought if I hung out with some monks for a while, maybe it might you know, do me some good. And I went over uh, to an abbey and it was really an interesting thing. The day that I arrived there, it was like rainy and wet. It smelled because it was in a grotto. There were skeeters everywhere. You know, skeeters, we say that in the South. There were skeeters everywhere. And, and it was just muddy and humid and sticky and all I'm like, what am I doing here? And I finally got into my room and it was probably about as big as this area right here. And it had a small bed. It had a really small uh, bathroom and it had a very small desk. And it was about this big right here. And that was my room for about three or four days while I was there. And on this wall by the bed, there was a portrait that was painted by one of the monks. And um, it was of this tumultuous sea. And it had like white caps and, and cracking lightning and stuff. And I thought, that is where I'm at spiritually right now. And I was just like, man, if that doesn't say it all, I don't know what else can so I finally got the courage to muster to, to leave the room and brave the rain. And I went on a small walk and I went down to where their chapel was. And you can imagine it was a, it's an old stone chapel and, uh, and the doors, the doors are about this thick. It's like those big doors you would envision on like a castle. And I grabbed one of them, it's like, and I pulled it open and I walked inside and I pulled it behind me and I got inside of this little chapel and I was the only person in there. There was nobody else there and it was quiet. I mean, I could hear like the rain hitting the top of the roof of this place. And I found myself in a small pew and I was looking up and on the wall was a marble carved crucifix. It's Jesus on the cross. And this thing was so impressive that I could see every rib in his body. I could see every wrinkle of anguish in his face. The artist did a magnificent job. And, and here he is hanging on the cross. And the, the whole, the whole uh, chapel is dark, and there's just one small light shining on. So this is all that you could see. And I, and I tell you, there was a moment that I would be willing to bet everything that I own to say that I felt I saw it breathe. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And then I just started weeping. And I must have wept uncontrollably for almost 30 or 40 minutes. And I just got to that point where, where I was so tired and, and poured out, but then I had gotten to the point that in the midst of my weakness, in the midst of whatever was going on, of that spiritual turmoil, it was in that moment I felt the presence of God. And through God's love, I was gaining strength. Through God's love, I was receiving forgiveness. Through God's love, I was receiving grace. Through God's love, I was, I was receiving renewal. And I was getting to a point where I could do, uh, be the kind of person that God wanted me to be again. 
but we've got to experience the presence of God. You see, Scripture says if we seek God, God seeks us. If we draw close to God, God draws close to us. And that was the whole piece, is drawing close into the presence of God. The second thing that we learned through Isaiah today is that we have to discover a genuine awareness of our sinfulness. We have to know that we are sinners. Um, I don't know how else to say it. Folks, you're not perfect, neither am I. You're a sinner. You're evil, you're corrupt, you're out of control, and I am too. And if, it's not for, if it wasn't for the blood and the life of Jesus Christ, we'd all be destitute uh, to, to go to hell and die a, a very horrible death. But because of the life and the sacrifice of Christ, we have been redeemed. And through our sinfulness, God has restored us into a new creation. And God has given us the hope to live. Not just to wait for heaven, but to live this life and to be Christ on earth and to change and transform the people that are around us. But we have to know what our sinfulness. Isaiah is there, he says, woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people with unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah sees how holy God is, and how wretched he is. I saw God in his glory, he's filled with glory, and he says, but I'm not. He said, God is righteous, but I'm evil. God is perfect, but I'm a sinner, I'm ruined. And we see that acknowledging the truth, something happens in his life. The third thing we come is we have to have a real understanding of God's grace. A real understanding of God's grace. When you, when you finally understand how amazing God's grace really is, it leads you to a deeper place of understanding. Isaiah says, and one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. And then he said, your guilt is taken away. It's been removed, my emphasis added there. And your sin has been atoned for. He has been touched, he has been cleansed, and he has been restored. Isaiah recognized that, that what had happened was the presence and the grace of God had changed him into something new. If you are suffering from addictions, the touch of God can change your life. If you are struggling with selfishness, a touch from God can change your life. If you are having angry outbursts and you're just mad at the world, a touch from God can change your life. All the things that you hide from everyone, but only God only knows, the things that you're most afraid of, if you give them to God, a touch from God, they're all forgotten, they're all forgiven, and God's grace restores you, he redeems you, he makes you something new. Just as the coal cleansed Isaiah, the blood of Jesus Christ cleans us. And we see <coughs> the significance of what happens. When we pray this prayer, we find great things will come. Why don't we pray this prayer? We don't pray this prayer because we're afraid to. We get to a place in our life where we know we should, but we don't because we're afraid we're afraid it will cause us to change. We're afraid of what we'll have to let go of, what we'll have to give up, <clears throat> the new direction that we'll have to take. And all of these things begin to become the hindrances in our life. You see, every day you and I are undergoing a battle between flesh and spirit. 
The flesh says, live life for yourself. The flesh says, get ahead of yourself. Do whatever it takes for you. The flesh says, ignore God. The flesh says, it doesn't matter about anything but yourself. The spirit life <clears throat> says, forget about yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. The spirit life says, listen to the voice of God. The spirit life says, be something that God wants you to be. But see, we're constantly battling that. And what we find out is what we feed the most is going to live and what we starve dies. So instead of feeding the flesh, we need to start feeding our spirit. We need to start dying of the flesh and living of spirit in Christ. You know, so many of us come every week to churches, whether it's this one or to another one, and we come and we listen and we go home and we say, okay, I checked off the block, I went to church today. But the question is, what are you gonna do with it? If, if we're just coming just to listen to good music and a, and a guy say a few words and wow, okay, let's go home. But we've gotta do something with that. You know, are we Jonah's? You know, heck no, I'm not going. Are we Moses? Send somebody else. Or are we gonna be Isaiah? Send me. And that's the challenge that we have today. We are in the most holy season of Christianity. It's gonna be the Christmas season. And we're gonna have hundreds, if not thousands of people visiting churches all around here, many coming here to St. Paul too. We've got one shot at connecting with someone's life who's not somebody who comes to church. We've got one shot. We have to be at our very best. And my question to you is, what are you gonna do about it? How are you gonna stand up? How are you gonna serve? How are you gonna be a welcoming spirit? How are you gonna help? How are you gonna connect? How are you gonna be involved? Who are you bringing to church? Here I am, Lord, send me. You know, the apostle Paul said that, that it becomes that point in our life that I find myself dying all day long and it's no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me. And that's the point we need to get to today. What will it take? Who will you be? Here I am, Lord, send me. That's what God is seeking.